0: Hi there and welcome to Popular Podagogy. I am your host Nathan Chaney. This podcast is brought to you by Queen's University Faculty of Education. In this podcast we will cover big teaching ideas in a way that will allow all teachers and maybe even some parents an opportunity to relate on a variety of emotional levels from hopefully hilariously funny to heartbreaking sadness. Our guests will include top researchers and instructors from our faculty, as well as practicing teachers to combine big educational ideas with the everyday life of being a teacher. We hope that as you listen to this podcast, you will have an opportunity to relate to the lives of other teachers, enjoy some of our stories, and maybe even pick up something along the way. Before we get to our first guest, I'm just going to give you a little bit about myself so that you have an idea of my background and how I came to be hosting this podcast. I was always one of those people who wanted to be a teacher, which has become a bit of a cliché, but it was the truth for me. After university, I got a job teaching out west in a grade 4-5 classroom, and I was so excited to head out and start a new adventure. I loved teaching. It was everything I expected it to be, and report cards were definitely more than I expected them to be. I loved Alberta, too, but we decided to move back to Ontario because that was our home. I took a job at Queen's, and someone had the bright idea to let me talk them into doing a podcast. Now that you know who I am, it's time to bring on our first guest. I'm joined here by Lee Ayrton. Lee is a faculty member at Queens, a Twitter rock star, a all-around famous person, and pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. Hey, not bad. I got a laugh right at the start of the podcast. So, Lee, how are you doing today?
1: I'm very well, Nathan. How are you? Good,
0: thank you. Good, thank you. We're going to actually start off with the most hard-hitting questions, and then from there we'll kind of transition into some softer stuff. So the first question that I have for you is, is it true that you belong to an elite cocktail society? <laughs> and my second question is, how did you get into this, and how cool are you? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> that's very hard-hitting. Um, I am a member of the Toronto Temperance society. I wouldn't call it elite. I would call it specialized. Okay. Um, For a very reasonable monthly fee, uh, you can belong to a bar where there are rules around how loud you can be um, and how many people you can bring, and you can have access to some of the best cocktails and bars in Toronto. So I found this out, not bars, cocktails and beverages in Toronto, and I I found this place because I was at at a restaurant called Sidecar on College Street with my friend Alicia, and we really liked the drinks, and we asked a lot of questions, and they said, hey, do you want to chest out our cocktail bar upstairs and we saw people going through a secret door and I love secret doors, so we went upstairs and I joined and I go there every time I go to Toronto. So, so yeah, I do. I don't know if it makes me cool, but it makes me interested in, perhaps too interested in cocktails.
0: Well, to me it makes you the most interesting person in the world. Um, <laughs> so you, on can that jo-
1: you can join too, Nathan, and then you can be as interesting as that.
0: Well, I don't think they'll let me into an establishment like that. No,
1: they will. You just have to read the rules.
0: Oh, well, there's your problem. (laughs) Uh, So just off of that, what would be your favorite cocktail that you've done there or made in general?
1: Mm. Well, I I really love the Manhattan. I love variations of the Manhattan. And actually, my favorite cocktail there is one of the classic standards called the Cary Grant, which is a twist on a very, very well-made four-ounce Manhattan.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Sounds delicious. Must be stirred. Must be stirred, shaken, not stirred, or stirred, mm. not shaken?
1: With a uh, peel with no white stuff, no piff.
0: All right. <laughs> so now that we've gotten those hard-hitting questions out of the way, we're going to transition into an article that you wrote for the Toronto Star. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what that article was about?
1: Yeah. So I wrote an article for the Toronto Star from the perspective of someone who works in the field of education about an incident that happened at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, I believe, last fall, where a teaching assistant um, was sort of brought in front of a couple of uh, professors and institutional administrators because she played a clip from um, a video put out by Dr. Jordan Peterson of U of T where he states his opposition to using transgender people's correct pronouns. And what happened at Laurier was that the TA was told that the way that she'd introduced the video and led discussion around it um, was problematic. And what I was interested in is how the discussion around that incident completely sort of abdicated any conversations about pedagogy or about teaching. So people were kind of appearing online and making arguments like, we should be able to have a debate about anything in the classroom or else it's not teaching. And so I wanted to point out with my article that actually, let's have a debate, kids, isn't the way that we teach all topics, and that the teacher's job is actually to provide a space where all students can participate as safely as possible, and especially when we're talking about things that count for credit, things like participation marks. So I gave an example of um, whether you would debate the Quebec niqab ban and have and make students participate in a debate for or against people wearing the niqab in public life. If you have a student in that classroom who also veils, so how how would you compel that person's participation? Like make them take up the opposite side. <laughs> I mean, we just don't teach so many deeply um, cultural and personal things through debate, and I just wanted to point out how nonsensical that was as an argument.
0: So how do you think that we should be bringing in? particular political topics into the school, because debates can be great teaching moments in the right context. Um, and it's an opportunity for people to disagree respectfully, especially in a time where social media and the internet and other outlets kind of lead people to lacking empathy and especially in political situations. So how can we frame the debate to make it or use another tool so that we can make it so that they're still getting that quality discussion while being respectful of each other and and having that understanding of mutual respect.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of ways that you can bring up um, like what happened culturally and societally in Canada around, for example, Um, the uh, passage of Bill C-16 in the Senate, because that that was the bill that added gender expression and gender identity protections to the Canadian Human Rights Act. And so you can actually teach that social conflict, right? Teach the many different um, viewpoints that erupted around... Um, the inclusion of gender expression in the Human Rights Act, and you can teach that as a pivotal moment in sort of the Canadian conversation about human rights and about gender diversity issues. And in doing so, you can talk about and you can teach these videos of Dr. Peterson and other materials that have been produced, like my articles and all kinds of different ways that people have intervened in public discourse about this, On I guess we could say the other side. You can teach this as a conversation, and in doing so, you can also be mindful of who your students are and how they are liable to take up that conversation. requiring people to sit in a classroom where their existence is debated is not a way to teach about this at all.
0: So do you think that there's a place in today's classroom for debating at all? Or do you think that? Oh, sure. So could you give an example of where you think that that would be a good area to use a debate?
1: Oh, my gosh, like you could debate about all kinds of things. But I think, I mean, is multiculturalism a good policy platform? Is it still relevant? I mean, go to any high school or university debate club and find things that are being debated and where debate is a useful pedagogical exercise. But that's not necessarily the way to engage all topics. And not having a debate doesn't mean that teaching and learning aren't happening. There are hundreds of different kinds of instructional strategies that teachers use for engaging topics that are boring. I mean, not boring, <laughs> for engaging topics that are sort of like <laughs> vanilla, non-confrontational, every possible in. way. Be um, or for teaching topics that are really sort of gripping and polarizing. Um, and, de- and let's have a debate is not is far from the only thing that teachers do.
0: So from the Toronto Star article, uh, we're going to transition here. So you are the maestro of the No Big Deal campaign. Can oh you tell us a little bit about what that is about?
1: Yeah, the No Big Deal campaign is something that I initiated and then um, created with some collaborators, uh, particularly at the University of Toronto in the Sexual and Gender Diversity Office, um, around the kind of conflict that arose in fall of 2016 when Dr. Peterson released his first video, um, saying I will not use um, a person's pronouns that they use for themselves if they do not match what I personally would use for them automatically. That's kind of the gist of, of his argument. Yeah. At the time, I was working at U of T in OISE. I was a sessional lecturer in the Master of Teaching program, and I've been there for, about, for almost three years at that point. And I am a non-binary person, and my pronouns are they, them. And I go to work, and have colleagues, and teach students, and have neighbors, And what I had experienced about being a person who uses gender-neutral pronouns is that a lot of people are willing to do their best and not, you know, make like a great, huge, big deal about it. And I wanted other people who were in my context where I worked every day to know that that support is visible. I wanted to honor the goodwill of the many people I knew who just do their best and use my pronouns, and it's no big deal. And I wanted to offer a way for people to speak back to that really kind of crappy climate in which it was suddenly like a weird polarizing political issue when actually many of us have been out um, with our pronouns and our identities for many years and actually have not experienced any kind of polarization. So I just wanted to frame the debate differently, and I wanted to offer people some tools to speak back if they chose. So we made a series of infographics that are all available and free to download and print and whatever you like at nbdcampaign.ca. Then we made a little green uh, social media badge that just says, I'll use your pronoun, no big deal.
0: Did you get a pretty positive response from that, or what yeah. was the response like?
1: Yeah, it was great. Um, I I'm really excited. Whenever I hear about how far it's traveled, I've heard about it being used in some European countries. Um, the University of Victoria put our materials all over their Faculty of Education building. People have made things in the American South. They've just it just travels everywhere, and that's what I like about it is that I don't have to drive it. It's kind of like a driverless car, or no, it's kind of like a like a stream that trickles. So it appears all over the place, and people can just take it and use it and make things however they want. And I just, I really, um, one thing that I've heard from people is that it makes the act of just using someone's pronoun actually reflect what it is, which is using a word and doing your best. And I'm i grateful for, yeah, I'm grateful for all those messages.
0: Now, you're also a blogger, so can you tell us a little bit about your blog and give everyone kind of the Cole's notes version of what some of the topics are that you cover on there.
1: Yeah, I can. So um, this this kind of this is in the same category as my work with the Novi Deal campaign. My blog is called They Is My Pronoun, and it's TheyIsMyPronoun dot com. And I started that blog quite a while ago in kind of the explosion of gender diversity that's happening now, which is really cool. So I I started that in a in a time that feels a little far away, which was 2012. <laughs> Um, and in queer and queer and/or transgender communities, there had been people who used gender-neutral pronouns, including they/them, which is mine, and there had been um, different kinds of ways that people knew how to use these pronouns, but that hadn't really come into the mainstream. And so around the time that I started using they, them as my pronoun, so around 2011, I realized that there actually wasn't any kind of practical resource for people to access because so many of us, us they people, were actually coming into public life and saying this isn't my pronoun, but people didn't know where to go if they had questions. So I wanted to provide something that was so practical and so accessible that it took away any kind of barrier except just the learning curve of using a different pronoun for someone. And
0: I've been on your blog, and I thought it was really cool, actually, to see the responses that you got from some some of the posts and the resources that you put out there, and it really means a lot to a lot of people, which I thought was really, really cool, because blogs are a tough thing, because Mm -hmm. sometimes you can start them, and whether you have an audience or not is is a difficult thing, and whether you're actually posting Mm -hmm. anything meaningful, I mean... I am sure that I would not post anything meaningful if uh, I had a blog. No, do not Oh, Nathan, so. don't, don't, oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's
1: funny that the blog has changed a lot over time. So, in the beginning, I spent quite a lot of time on it. I posted almost weekly because the questions came and came and came. And uh, eventually, over time, I've reached, and pardon me, the blog is based on, um used to be based on only answering questions. And then I started writing um other longer pieces where I interviewed people who who use or have to use in their daily life, singular they. But over time, I reach what we call in qualitative research a point of saturation. So I wasn't getting any new questions. So what what I do now generally is I get questions that I've already answered. And if I have time, I go and I direct people to posts that already exist. But I don't get much new stuff anymore, which is really interesting. Um, I feel like I I have a representative... Um, database of things that people worry about and they have to think about when they use a pronoun themselves like they them or a neo pronoun like z here or when they have to do this for someone else. So I don't have to write it as much as I used to. It's more of an archive now and a resource.
0: So taking into account the No Big Deal campaign and uh, they as my pronoun as well, I know that this is where a lot of your research comes in, just in a really quick 60 second answer, As a teacher, how can we ensure we're creating an inclusive environment for all students in their classroom?
1: Oh, that's very broad.
0: I know. (laughs) And I'm asking you to do it at a short period of time. So challenge Um, is on.
1: How can you? I'll say one thing about that, is that I think one of the most sort of underthought but powerful strategies any teacher can use at any level is to actually put out into the world with your body language and your facial expression, your tone and also your words, sort of your whole presence, that you are open to whoever people are and that you are open to that changing and that you are not privileging your own expectations of someone else over how they are presenting themselves. And I don't just mean queer people, I don't just mean trans people. I mean that if someone comes in and you have a, pre, a pre-existing expectation of what they're going to like or do or think based on, for example, their ethnicity or their religion, and they surprise you, that you kind of back up that surprise and you keep it inside of yourself and you don't give them a message that they have just violated some stereotype you had. So just monitoring how I, how I give out messages about what I expected and just realizing that's actually a site of a lot of sort of drive-by harm. I think that's something all teachers should learn how to do.
0: Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that um, when I was teaching, it it kind of struck me as being quite amazing that Mm -hmm. when I was in the classroom, even just being there and being open and being able to listen to whatever a student brought to you was something that Mm -hmm. really stuck with those kids. And that was something that you know, that's how those relationships are built. So I think that though, that's a great answer to kind of have there because we really need to make sure that no matter what we're doing as educators, we're making it so that it's a safe space for them to come into the school and and feel welcome and have an opportunity for them to talk. So that's great.
1: And, like, there's a big, I don't, I don't, if I think about two teachers, one of them who, unless just use the example of a trans student, one of them, a trans student comes out and they start going on and on and on about how much they know about trans people and, like, how totally supportive and great they are. And, like, they start demonstrating all of this knowledge and preparation and just sort of talk the kid's ear off about it. We kind of have that teacher on one hand and then we have a teacher on the other hand who might actually not know very much at this time, but they receive the information and they say, great, thanks for telling me. Well, let's talk about what you need. my teacher ed practice and in working and researching about gender diversity issues, I have come to be more interested in that second teacher and how I can help foster that kind of capacity in my teacher candidates.
0: So we'll be right back with more Lee Ayrton, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you an occasional teacher looking to improve your job prospects? Are you an experienced teacher trying to reach the next pay scale? Are you interested in improving your overall teaching practice? Queen's Continuing Teacher Education has you covered. With easy to access online courses, you can log on to your course from anywhere you have access to the internet. Courses offered by CTE range from special education to technological education to safe and accepting schools. Queen's CTE courses work with your schedule, have supportive, expert instructors that want to help you succeed. Registration is fast and easy with no commitment to pay until the Friday before the course starts. What are you waiting for? Visit coursesforteachers.ca for more information or to sign up today. That's coursesforteachers.ca. We are back with Lee Ayrton, who uh, has given us a little bit about the research uh, that they do and also given us a little bit about the article that they wrote for the Toronto Star. But now, we are going to get into what we think will be our most popular and favorite segment, which is the Classroom Confessions.
1: Now, this oh, is an opportunity...
0: Yeah, be ready for it. Now, this is an opportunity uh, for teachers to... Talk about some of the funny things that they've done in the class, some of the funny things that one of their students has done. Uh, Obviously, we're going to leave out names um, (laughs) and identifiers, but uh, we understand that there are all kinds of funny things um, that happen in a school, and we're going to talk about it. So if you are one of those teachers that has a really funny story that you just want to share or want us to share on the air... You can email that in to us at popular.podagogy at queensu.ca. So popular.podagogy at queensu.ca. And if we think that your story is, one, appropriate, and two, (laughs) funny enough that we should read on the air, then we will use that story in one of our future podcasts. But to start us off, I'm actually going to start us with one of our or one of my stories so that I can give a little bit of a baseline for what we're looking for from Lee and then let Lee jump in with their story. So when I was a teacher, one of the things that I often came back to in the classroom was my students whining about one thing or the other. <laughs> uh, I know as many of you can listen out there, you will understand that this is something that happens all the time, uh, whether it's they want to go out for additional recess or they don't want to do a particular thing in gym class or they just think that we should do more of a particular subject and less of a not-so-particular subject. So when I would come back to this in my class, I would just look at my class as they continually ask me questions, and on the projector, I would go to YouTube and put on a playlist called Sad Piano Music. (laughs) And as my kids, my students, continued to complain to me, All I would do was stare at them with a blank face, have an image of broken piano keys, and me sitting there listening to terribly sad piano music. This became a little bit of a bit in my class, and every time the kids would expect me to do it, one time we were on our way to a local park just to go outside. It was a nice day. Um, so we were having an outside gym class, and my students started complaining about the fact that we had to walk in the sunshine and happiness, Uh and so what I did is I had actually snuck my speaker into my backpack, my emergency backpack, so that I could ensure that just in case an emergency arose, we would have music, and as they complained to me along the pathway, I played some sad piano music, and the kids just looked at me and they said, does it just follow you wherever it goes? <laughs> And I deadpanned and said, absolutely. I want you to know that. Do not ever forget it. And that is my classroom confession for today. So we're going to transition this over to Lee. Lee, do you have a classroom confession that you can share with us?
1: Oh, I do. Now, I am a very silly person, so... No,
0: no, we don't see that at all, no.
1: So it's very... It's hard for me to pick this one, but um, I will... I'll talk about uh, something that I... A moment when I learned something about popular culture... Um, it Was actually when I was teaching in the master of teaching program at OISE. I- I'm new to Queen, so I just started in July. Yeah. And I was teaching, and my, my teaching in the past uh, few years has unfurled mostly with teacher candidates. So, I was uh, at OISE, and I was in my class, and I was I was suggesting to my students who were writing in the master of teaching program, they write quite a significant large research study of their own um, of their own doing, and I was and my job was to sort of coach them and help them through that. And I kind of I suggested them some ways that they could relax. After they turned in their draft, and I was, you know, just I like to be real about self care and, and taking breaks and stuff like that. So I said, well, you could do a, wonder, a bunch of things after you hand this in on Friday. I mean, did you, you did out. you suggest
0: for them to make a master cocktail from your cocktail <laughs> society? <laughs> or? No,
1: because most of them are members. I love to them there, but yes. they weren't. But what I did, what I'm I did ask, one. what I did suggest is, oh, you could do all these things. You could like call a friend, whatever, or you could like Netflix and chill. And and uh, and I just kept going on, and and they all started to giggle, and I was like, "What? What's going on?" And they're like, "Well, you said Netflix and chill," and I'm like, "What? What is funny about watching TV and and chilling out?" And and then and because I am a very silly person, um, one of my students oh, who very very lovely just said, "Everybody be quiet." Do you know what that means? Are you <laughs> do you not know? And I was like. I don't know what that means, and she's like, "It means it means that you invite someone over to have sex." And I was like, "I <laughs> I don't uh, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm not like I'm like, well, that's a, I guess that's a thing, but I didn't know. And then they just lost their minds, and I was like, "Well, I so in am, case you're
0: watching Popular podagogy with your <laughs> class right now, uh, it might be a good idea to rewind it." It doesn't uh, mean rewind just rewind chill it.
1: out and binge watch a show. Like it means that you're going to invite some over for for an interlude. Please do not say that you're going
0: to Netflix and chill over your lunch break. That is what we're trying to tell you. But that's what I thought it meant. I'm like, I'm
1: just going to go watch a little bit more Star Trek Voyager by myself. (laughs) That's not what it means.
0: I am speechless. Uh, I have
1: also sat on the desk and ripped the entire uh, crotch of my pants wide open.
0: Well, we've all been there. I mean, come on. For real.
1: Like, just like, RIP! gigantic like it's not like an issue like it was like boxer shorts but like i'm just like what what do i do and i just kept going and it actually was so magical
0: well that is one of our smartest minds at queens everybody (laughs) so uh in case you're wondering what we are doing at the faculty of education
1: and sometimes it is a problem
0: all right so lee what uh what research are you working on right now
1: Well, I just uh, received a series of small grants with my, uh, my colleague, Dr. Kyle Kirkup at the University of Ottawa, and we are going to be looking at all of the diversity and equity policies across all 67 publicly funded school boards in Ontario to see how they are making sense of this term gender expression, because right now every single Ontarian has, as of 2012, the right to be free from discrimination and harassment. On the basis of their gender expression. That's everybody.
0: What a world we live in.
1: Right? That's everybody. And so often we only think of that new human rights protection as um, applying to trans people. But actually it hasn't been interpreted in such a limited way. So we want to see how people are understanding it and how schools are making sense of it so we can make recommendations
0: it scares me a little bit that it's only as of 2012 that we have that recommendation in there, but uh, I'm really glad that you're getting that opportunity to look into that. And uh, it's definitely something that we hope that our teachers will go and check out. So Lee, do you have anything else to plug or where can people find you?
1: I do. I just wanted to say that if people are interested in finding me and more about the work that I do, you can find me on Twitter at Lee Ayrton, L-E-E-A-I-R-T-O-N. You can also check out Lee Um And the uh, yeah, I think oh, yes, I do have something to plug. this is so exciting. I have completed a manuscript for a book. That is for popular audiences, and I'm really excited about this. It's going to come out in October, and it's called Gender Your Guide, a gender-friendly primer on what to know, what to do, and what to say in the new gender culture.
0: I am so impressed that you remembered that title. It's
1: very long. Uh, when you write a book, you have, like, minimal say in the title, but I have to say I'm pretty happy about it, because it says the word gender three times, so, like, it's not <laughs> ambiguous what it's about, and it's just, it, it is a go-to place for people who are interested in gender diversity, and trans people, and trans issues, and things like pronouns, and things like how do I I ask somebody, "How do I sort of what? What's the law? with the deal with bathrooms?" It is your primer on the ways that gender is kind of exploding in public and open ways, and it is very pra- it is very practical. So it really draws on the work that I've done with my blog and they is my pronoun, and I think it's going to be really helpful.
0: And where where can people find this book?
1: Um, soon it will be available for pre order on chapters, uh, but I will be plugging it, plugging away at it, um, plugging sorry plugging away at plugging it. On my different social media media channels when it comes out, and I'm sure that my colleagues on the faculty ed, in the Faculty of Ed will also plug that for me.
0: Thank you for listening to Popular Pedagogy. If you like what you hear, you can go subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, CFRC website, the Faculty of Education website, or pretty much any website that's out there. Thanks for tuning in.